Good morning, this is the 3CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia and we are coming to you at just after half past seven in the morning. This morning we've got Chris Williams from Burnley and John Arnott from Grant Cranbon Botanic Gardens with us. Good morning, Chris. Hey, Virginia, how are you? I'm good. I'm enjoying good. this excellent weather. Yeah, it's crisp and clear. Yes, and we've had a lot of rain in the Yarra Valley, so it's very nice to... I know it is a weird thing to say. It's a very English thing to say. I've had too much rain. <laughs> but yeah. I'm very pleased to see some good weather. And good morning to John. Virginia, how are you going? Excellent. Good, Excellent. good. It was a chilly start. Yes. 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 Frosty. Yes. Would have been frosty at your way. Yesterday I went walking on the Warby Trail at 7, so the sun wasn't quite up because I've got this 53 kilo dog that I've inherited. <laughs> what sort of dog? She's a mastiff. Wow. And her family were deported oh, okay. during lockdown and they couldn't find a home for her. Right. I'm going to have to put her down while well, I couldn't have that. So oh, good on she's you. too big for somebody my age. Anyway, so I go out early when there's nobody else around. And he, she takes you for a walk. No, she's, she's good. Yeah, that's good. But, um, but people are frightened of her because she's so big. Yeah. Or they love her. Yeah. I mean, in Fitzroy, they adore her. You know, she yeah. gets me free coffees. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the frost was absolutely beautiful. I was walking towards Wurriyalik along the trail. Yep. And the bridge was so frosty, it's a wooden bridge, that it was slippery. Yeah, right. It was just beautiful, and the ruse looked cold. Yeah. <laughs> I, I cycle to work um, basically every day, and, and, and one of the absolute payoffs is experiencing the sunrise on those clear, yes. frosty mornings, and the sun popping up over the horizon through the red gums and through the trees. It's actually a, a, a really beautiful moment. In fact, two weeks ago, um, I was cycling along the Patterson River just out of Carrum, uh, and there's a section of the trail that opens up, and you can see 180 degrees of horizon. 300, yeah, no, 360 yeah, right. degrees of horizon. How wonderful! Um, and the sun was popping up to the east, and I looked across to the to the city and could see the tops of the buildings, and they were glowing red. Oh. It was it was a little bit like something out of um, I don't know. It, uh, it was it was quite it was quite beautiful. It was Stunning. Lord of the Rings esque, mm. <laughs> you know, this energy being transferred from one place to mm. another. It was well, I look beautiful. at Tullabawang. I, I look at a series of mountains, and um, none of them are occupied. None of them got houses on them except Tullabawang, which is the longest dead end road. How people managed to live there, given the fires, I just don't know. Yeah. It's the longest dead end road. But anyway, when the sun's setting. It, you can't see these houses because there's so many trees. You can just see a tiny bit of roof occasionally. Yep. But when the sun's setting, it just hits the windows. And flicks back. And there's just all this, all these orange and yellow. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Oh, it's stunning. <laughs> yeah. And you get some idea of how many people actually live up there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Dead scary place to live. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And Good. there's a commune there that's been there since the 70s. Okay. And it's still there and still active. Really? Yeah. So an interesting place. Don't know anyone who lives up there, but it's a beautiful mountain. Beautiful mountain. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful country. Oh, look, the Yarra Valley is yeah. just stunning. Sometimes I just wander around my place thinking, "Oh my God, I've died and gone to heaven." <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> you, you except this sort of frost. The, these frosts are hard enough that my heliotropes might be threatened. Yeah. Yeah, you, you would They're, get a hard frost in the valley. Well, my, it always rolls off the hill for me because yeah. I'm on. The, I'm on the ridge, and so it rolls 
I mean, I've got grapes. My grapes, one year when they were very bad late frosts, my grapes were just about the only ones that weren't affected. Really? Because the frost... And I I learned this when I was living in Britain. You know, frost rolls just like water. And they actually plant for the frost so that they can direct the frost down and out of a garden or wherever. Well, there's a reason cold stream's called cold stream, right? It was minus four the other night. And that's just about the geography or the topography? Yeah, yeah, because the the cold, it it literally rolls down the hills. To the cold stream, yeah. yeah. Because it is colder than... Absolutely. Me, usually, cold yep. strength. Mm. Yeah, it is. And f- f- frost is an interesting thing. From what I understand, it um, affects plant cells when it thaws. Yes. So it's actually the rapid thawing is mm. the thing that actually knocks plants around. And that's why if you can get out before sunrise and wet everything down, that that's a, a, you know, a technique of... Minimising, maybe not completely eradicating, but minimising frost damage. Well, the the other trick there is, which is an annual brain teaser I do with my students, is why why is it actually worse to put mulch around vulnerable plants when you know a frost is coming? Mulch actually makes it worse. Why? Because it'll host the frost. Because uh, because what happens? And by the way, I, I learnt this the hard way. I was doing revegetation with my brother, and we were, we knew it was a, this is the Coonabarabra in New South Wales, extremely frosty, and we thought we were piling on the mulch because we knew this frost was coming with young, um, uh, yeah, young in, in local indigenous plants. Ran out of time. The next day, it was the ones that were mulched that were absolutely nuked, and the unmulched ones were fine. And we we just went, what? What's going on there? So you dig around the internet, you find it. It's a lot of to do with viticulture. So it's actually the bare soil, if it's slightly compacted, because usually in Australia we have these, these warm, sunny, clear days before a frost. We, yeah. don't, we don't have cyclonic frosts. And so that heats the soil. Yeah, right. And then at night, if it's unmulched, the heat is released and creates enough of a warm air bubble to, by and large, so, with so, a reason. So the frost can't settle. That's right. <laughs> whereas, the, whereas the mulch insulates and therefore it never actually warms up. So anyway, there you go. There you go. Yeah. So that means if you live in a frosty area, you're better off being unmulched over the coldest it, part of the winter. If you have plants that are fro- aren't frost hardy. Well, the heliotrope is the thing with me. I've got a couple mm. of them around the garden, and I, they've only been hit, I think, twice in 16 years. And, and they're the first. Right. I mean, other things go. I did lose my, you know, the Mexican tree daisy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I yeah. lost that last year, but that was because I was stupid and I pruned. I oh, you had a fussy new growth. I've done that before. I shouldn't. Yeah. Oh, well, I pruned it down to you know, yeah. to the ground, so it had no protection and it didn't. It was standing out in the open. It was. Uh, I just didn't engage the brain because because tree, <laughs> tree daisy, which because there's tree dahlia and tree daisy, the tree daisy, the daisy, yeah, but they're both very similar habitat, I believe. Montanoa, 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 Montanoa yeah, yeah, yeah. Montanoa. But, but and mine, yeah. the, I, I had two. Now I've got one, um, and. The other one is just beautifully in flower at the moment. And I went to a garden in the Dandenongs the other day mm. called Beachmont, and they've got a montanoa. And I prune my montanoa every yeah. year down to ankle height. But this montanoa in, at Beachmont hasn't been pruned for years. And it just looks extraordinary because, they, I mean, they, it does grow 15 foot a year. Yeah. Mm. So, I, I mean, that showed me that it will actually stop growing yeah but it was really you know it's 50, it's 20 foot wide 20 foot high and just a massive white i'm a big rap for the tree daisies 
I think as, a, as, a, as a group. Mm. I mean, you know, mm. daisies can be little diminutive uh, sure. ephemeral things. Mm. But those big daisies, there's something about them that, that, that I, I well, kind of like. Also, at this time of year, white in the garden is fabulous. Beautiful. Yes, whereas in the heat of summer, I think white... I, the white garden at Sissinghurst used to just thrill me, where, whereas I don't think a white garden works really here. Because in the summer, white just disappears. Our light is too, yeah, too intense. I can remember James Hitchmore at Burnley saying that, making, making fun of what was at the time, you know, quote-unquote, the Turok housewife obsession with a white garden, garden, making fun of it being washed out in summer and totally not taking into out. account texture and form mm. as in, a, it, other part. The, the insipid white. Just too, too much white. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I've got a Mexican um, sage, the yeah. Lu- Salvia lucantha, and I've scattered it around the garden. At the moment, the white one just looks wonderful because yeah. the light is changing. And, yeah, okay. and it's, a, it's a really sympathetic colour yeah. in autumn. You know, and that's what you have to do with your garden, isn't it? You have to plant for every season. So white is good now. But yeah. it washes out in, in, totally. the, in the harsh light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of uh, Mexican tree dahlias at this time of year. For the same, just just to have something that grows so fast over summer, so it's just spectacular to watch it, and then all, you know, form its giant canes, and then all of a sudden, when you're just thinking about to sink into winter depression, yeah, this one last this little pop, and then you have camellia. I mean, other things happen in winter too, well, but see, I just got yeah. something about da- tree dahlias I love. I've got 31 camellia plants at my place. Right, well, um, I love these starting to come into their own. They're just yeah. beginning, budding up. Yep, yeah, yeah, which is wonderful mm. because some of them were there before me. So they're massive. They're sort of yeah. 25 foot high. So you can tell I lived in England for 20 years. <laughs> I still talk in feet. I can't. I, can't. Oh, well, I still do for height. Do you? Yeah. No, I, I've lost it. I, yeah, I mean, I grew I up with inches, but I've, so, I've lost, so you'll, I've you'll, lost you'll feet. So you'll say that a, a ruckman is X number of centimetres? Yeah. Oh, wow. Good yeah. for you. I, I mean, I do understand the, the, yeah. the six foot... Um, thing. Look at you, you're completely reconstructed, uh, <laughs> man, John. Good for you. Have you got tree dollars in tree dollars in your I've garden? I've got one beautiful one. It's it's the pink. What I really want is the white, and right. I don't have it. Yeah. But it's it's a very, it's a bigger flower, a different flower to the the pink that okay. I've seen. It's it's sort of almost the petals are almost fluted. And I saw one in the Botanic Gardens the other, way, other day, tucked away in one of the private sections of the gardens. I thought, oh, that's the same as the one I've got. But it, I think it we have one at Burnley, Virginia, if you need one, perhaps. Speaking, white on, one. speaking on behalf of Andrew Smith, I better check. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah. So we can give you a, you know, a cutting. Well, they're a not cane. Exact, well, you do have to cut them down, difficult. don't you? You yeah. do. Yeah, so that's a good point. And that's, that'd be a waste of good canes just to Actually, put them the, through the compost. The uh, Rushall Garden, Community Garden in North Fitzroy, has. An absolutely massive planting of the straight pink tree dahlia all around the outside. Oh, I must go and have a look yeah, this yeah. afternoon. And is that self-supporting? It just looks after itself, uh, although mani- it's managed. I think they, those. I, 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 yeah, I think they cut them back. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think they leave the canes just lying there. Yeah. In, but again, check check with them yeah. before you start. <laughs> I don't you know. need more pink. Mm. I find where I've planted mine, which is mm. behind the. I just put it behind the compost. I thought, oh, well, I don't really want yeah. this, so I stuck it in behind the compost. And it does tend to get a bit of the north wind, so I tend to lose a bit. Right. Um, from just, it just snaps. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fallen over through the lemon tree, which is just <laughs> right. extraordinary. So the lemon tree is Looks just like producing these mm-hmm. extraordinary <laughs> pink flowers. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Which you should is, take a photo. Yeah. It, Stick it on the Facebook. You know, no, I should actually. Shouldn't if I? you, if you, uh, you know, because I'm it's interested. It's an Instagram in shot, I think. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> 
But if you look on, look on the internet, you'll see that allegedly tree dahlia is edible, right? Like it's dahlia, dahlia tubers, tuber. right? But then, so I, I looked into this once because the tubers are so gigantic, right? They're yeah. half a football size, if yeah. not more. And I literally, and it's almost embarrassing, but I tried to cook one once, and I may as well have cooked a treated pine log like it was a joke. Um, but, yeah, so when you really look into this, it's like one reference in, like, Mother Earth News in, like, from San Francisco in the early, whatever it is. And then I looked in the anthropological literature, and there is definitely a record of a particular uh, indigenous people in the Mexican highlands eating the leaves as an emergency food. So it's one of those ones we can just... Okay, forget so it. So you're not you're not poisoned, is basically. Oh no, I'm not poisoned. <laughs> I mean, you know. I did try the leaves, like cooked in a lot of butter, and they were fine. But uh, yeah, no, I've, I've I've dumped that off the list. Well, I've got the edible um, canna. Yes. In my compost. Yep. And in my vegetable garden, and yep. anywhere else, I'm silly enough to let it happen. Yeah, no, I. I and I don't mm. eat that. No, I have. It's not bad because it has none of the. Um, it, what is, it has, doesn't have the calcium oxalate crystals that a lot of like taro has, which I love. Mm. So it is completely benign, the edible canna. But you do have to... Uh, I mean, the best use of it is, as I do in Vietnam now, which is, the, which is the world's biggest producer of it. They make cellophane noodles out of it because the starch is really very good, gluten-free, all that stuff. And that's why it used to be called Queensland arrowroot. Yeah, right. Right? So because yeah. by the, I think it was about 30 years they grew it in Queensland for arrowroot flour. So is that a root from Canna? Originally. Now it's from a Calathea, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Are you an um, uh, ethnobotanist? Oh, jeez, I wish I could call myself that. I'm ethnobotany adjacent. You know, <laughs> so, so, no, I definitely delve into that literature because it's really, really rich and interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and, and that applies to, obviously, indigenous Australian yeah, food indeed. as well. Some of that stuff is incredible yeah. when you really get, get into it. Yeah. Um, but, but, yes, I'm definitely interested in that. If my botany mm. aligned. Aligned, exactly. Yeah. Um, I haven't yeah, yeah. mm. I'll use that tag. Thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess ethnobotany is, is people and plants. Exactly. Maybe we're, maybe we're all ethnobotanists. That's a really good point, right? We don't yeah. look at our own you know, gardening culture in that way, but we should. Mm. If we look at it, if you like, as an anthropologist looking from the outside in, it's pretty... Interesting, the way we all potter around and mm. love certain plants, mm. right? And just get so much um, peace. Yeah. I think yeah. I, I think one of the things that people would gar- who garden a lot just find a certain way of just... When I worked at, mm. at um, North London Poly, it was very fraught. And mm. I used to walk to work as a way of containing the anxiety of, of the job. Yeah. And because um, it was Thatcher, I was working in a trade union organisation, yeah. you know. It was, yeah, right. It was tough. Mm. And, and I find I, when, if I'm stressed, I use gardening in exactly the same yeah. way as I used to, because that I used to walk through every park I could between Hackney and, and um, or Stoke Newington and, and Islington, and there's a few, you know, and it helped. But I now use gardening in exactly the same yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's right. I like to say I've been self-medicating on gardening since I was four or five. <laughs> I mean, something like that. <laughs> yep, I think there's. Oh, I mean, there's absolutely something in that. I guess there's that you know that whole horticulture therapy um, movement, which has been around for well, it's been named yeah. for, for the last maybe twenty years, but it's been happening forever. And it's it's back to the fore. Yeah. You're tuned to the Three CR Garden Show. 
We've got, I am Virginia Hayward, and we've got Chris Williams from Burnley and John Arnott from Cranbourne Botanic Gardens with us this morning, for those of you who have just tuned in. And we are talking about edible plants at the moment. <laughs> That's right. And, and tree daisies. And tree daisies. Yeah. And, yes, absolutely. I'm, I, I really like, a, 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 the name might have changed, but um, I think it might be another Mexican thing, Potichinium eminens, great big leaf, huge daisy tree. Um, oh. Gorgeous thing, gorgeous thing. And in the Australian flora, there's Oleria um, yes. agrophylla, right. which is the musk daisy, and they can get huge. Yeah. I saw one oh, a few years ago at a place called Mount Worth, and it actually had a, had a base that was, you know, a proper tree. Really? Maybe. Right. Oh, John's holding his hands uh, almost uh, yeah. as far apart yeah. as is possible. So what's that... Um, the, the tree measure at waist height, yep. um, DBH, yeah, diameter at breast height, yep. was about a metre and a half, Right. a daisy. Wow. Yeah. Extraordinary. I've got another thing in my garden which is yeah. absolutely stunning and mm. it's just finished flowering. It's a canthaceae. I've quite mm. fallen for a canthaceae yeah, once over the last few years. Yep. And this mm. is called Rhinocanthus beziana. Rhinocanthus beziana, never heard of it. Never heard of it. No, it has no um, ordinary name. It was brought in by Melbourne and Sydney Botanic Gardens on a a trip um, to China. And it took them something like 12 years to identify it correctly. Really? And I don't know. I mean, I'd seen it for sale in Sydney, but it's never been for sale down here. But it is now, I, I've given it to Craig and I've given it to Stephen. So oh, it's now, you. and it's the most I'm wonderful writing, flower. Yeah, I should write that down. What is it again? It's uh, Rhinocanthus, okay. R H I N O, Canthus, Beziana. Yep. Is it a herbaceous perennial? It, well, no, well, it's, it, no, it doesn't die down. It, no. It gets to, well, the one in the Botanic Gardens must be 15 by 15. Feet. Mine, feet. <laughs> Mine <laughs> is, um, Mine would be 12 foot high, but it's not nearly as wide because I prune it. So it's a... And it has a very, very unusual flower. In fact, I'll put the flower on Facebook. Please. Okay. For, um, Please. I'll put it on 3CR Facebook and my own Facebook for, for this afternoon. Yeah, great. Because it's a really unusual flower and it's a very beautiful flower. And mm. I, Stephen rang me up one day and said, would you cover for me tomorrow on, um, on Sunday on the radio show because I'm doing something for Tesla? And I said, sure. And Tesla were having their big um, rare plant expo. Gotcha. And so I wandered around my garden and the, this was in flower. I had no idea what the name was. So I cut a bit and went down to Tesla's and took it in, showed Shit. it to Stephen, said, I want to talk about this, Stephen. What is it? It's the only plant I've ever shown Stephen. He had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I was absolutely thrilled. And then I walked around everybody else I knew. So I went antique perennials, went right round the whole bang lot of them and asked Mm. them all. None of them knew, so I didn't talk about it. So you're going to be the source, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And then, Mm. well, no, I think the friends are now selling it. Okay. Botanic Gardens as well. Mm. And then um, I came down, did the radio show, went back to Seville, rang up Meg back... um, Meg Bentley from mm. Salvia fame, who's written the best Salvia book available, and said, Meg, will you come over tomorrow and have a cup of tea with me? 
She said, sure. So she came over Monday and I said, Meg, what's that? Oh, that's rhinocanthus. <laughs> she, <laughs> she got it. Yeah, <laughs> she's like good. That. That's, oh, it's a gorgeous thing. I'm just. Uh, if you found it, it on Google, yeah. yes, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Beautiful. I'm going to have a bit of a peek at John's laptop here. Too. Yeah, yeah. And I've also seen it up. Is it Mount Toma, the botanic gardens oh, yeah. in there? Yeah. Yeah. And I saw quite a few of them up there. It's beautiful. It is. It's good. And it's so easy. Being a uh, acanthaceae. It's so easy to propagate. It's a really nice group of plants, acanthaceae. There's, there's a um, Australian native acanthaceae graptophyllum can't Something remember the species name. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called a lipstick plant because its, it's flowers are r- hot pink. Mm. Gorgeous looking thing. And is it's acanthaceae. Is, is it a rainforest plant? Yeah, rainforest yeah, yeah, plant. Yeah. It's Glossy it's green foliage mm. and this well, incredible pink flowers. They do seem to be much more warm weather plants don't they I mean I've got a, quite a few in the garden and I've got all of them somewhere a bit protected I don't think any of them would survive if I stuck them out Pro- on my yeah. western hill Pro- probably not you know they need some protection yeah but, but our, our, our old friend Acanthus mollus is sort of well that will grow anywhere right? and hard to get rid of and hard to get rid of no, yeah, that's, no. that's horrible I don't want that I, I used to say to students uh, you know the Burnley has its famous plant walks you know for I do say this is a 1950s Catholic marriage plant right <laughs> like you never there's no divorce You're, and <laughs> as, as students as I get older they get younger that becomes a more obscure reference very obscure and uh, yeah. I think I must uh, revise that little tag yes. anyway Adomtinea is another one that I've got yeah, in my nice. garden which I love because yeah. it's that red flower in the dark yeah and again, mm. big grossy, glossy, glossy green leaves, foliage. Yes. Yeah. Um, Justica. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's another. Some I of them. I don't like the pink one. But I've got, I've got a, I call it Justicia, and it's it's Justicia, odanta, and the flower I find very ordinary. Is it the Brazilian one? Yeah. 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 But the but it's got a very pale green leaf and it's a lovely contrast to other leaves yeah. there so I leave it even though the flower is so disappointing. And there's some of those acanthaceae you've got really nice foliage there's a thing called hypoestes Yes I love hypoestes. Yeah which is an interesting is foliage. Yeah yeah Oh, I love hypoestes. Yeah. I've yeah, got two of them. Yeah, two of them. I, I love it when you find out that something's in a family that you, <laughs> yeah, that you yeah, like yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I must tell people what our phone number is if you, if you would like to ring in and ask us a question the number is 94190155. Or you can text us on 0488 809 855. Or even send us an email on gardening at 3cr.org.au. So the talkback line is 94190155. So do give us a ring. Yes, I think, um, I, think I, I didn't know that. I'm really pleased that that's a. Uh, Hypoestes is another. Acanthaceae. Acanthaceae, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just trying to think of. Uh, we, years and years ago at the Butterfly House, quite a few Acanthaceae things are uh, host plants for a particular group of butterflies. Right. So I was um, exploring all manner of Acanthaceae to see if any of these might host butterflies and be able to, uh, able to grow. <laughs> yes. to, yeah, that was the thing. Um, yeah, and that's where hypoestes came well, in. Well, see, my garden, I, I had um, 48 people plus a bus driver, um, so 49 people <laughs> last week, and they loved it, even though it's so late. It was a, um, a U3A group. Oh, nice. And they, they loved it. They loved the garden. It was just fabulous. But, of course, I've got so many 
salvias, and of course they just flower and flower. Yep. I was pruning them, some of them yesterday, and pruning off all these flowers. I mean, you just have to do it because yeah. there's so much to prune. I've got to start now. Absolutely. Was that uh, Helen Page's group? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And it was it was fun. We had good fun. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The whole prune after flowering thing doesn't really work with a bunch of salvias, does it? It depends how many you've got. Yeah. I mean, I I do tend to yes, I I, pr- I prune while they're flowering. I mean. I think with pruning when I don't know what I'm doing, I never prune below where I can see growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, if I've got something that only flowers once, I always pr- try and prune immediately after flowering. Like, but it, with the <laughs> with the salvias, they're just in flower. Yeah. In flower. They're such a great group of plants, aren't they? And there was various ones I wanted to prune, but I just couldn't because the bees have completely covered them and and also the um spine bills are there so much oh, right. i learned a, a really valuable lesson about um uh spine bills salvias and fuchsias mm. at the geelong botanic gardens um new kid on the block probably a little bit cocky um or confident yeah. uh, in curatorial abilities and <laughs> there was a um a, a collection of fuchsias, and, and it, it, in, in my mind, it didn't make a lot of sense in a in a hot dry garden or mm. potentially hot dry garden. So I, 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 I looked at the climate matching lens, yeah, uh, and how suited are these to to the con- prevailing conditions of the Geelong Botanic Gardens, and decided they weren't. So we de-accessed the, coll- the collection. It went, actually went up to the um, one of the gardens in the hills. Uh, the it might have been. No, I don't think it was. It might have been Tyndale. Tyndale. Yeah. Yeah. So we held the collection and you know, duplicated and and we so the collection was there one day and then we pulled all the fuchsias out and replaced them with a collection of salvias which made a bit more sense. Because Geelong Garden's quite a hot garden. It is quite a hot garden, yeah. Mm. Um, thinking that that was you know such a good thing to do, one of the field naps tapped on my window in the office and said, uh, "Can I have a chat?" And he said, "You've removed all the fuchsias." He said, yeah, isn't it fantastic? And he said, well, there's a population of eastern spinebills that I think are perhaps even obligate on that, on that oh, collection. Wow, wow. Yeah. And I've just gone, oh, my Lord, of course. So and once the salvias yeah. are up, they will have been happy. Do, do they? So I've, okay. contemplating this, I've walked to the site mm. and I've seen a, a couple of the little salvias with flowers mm. getting worked by the... Eastern okay. spine bills. So I'd replaced exotic nectar sauce with exotic ne- nectar sauce, um, but that was I, just fortuitous rather than subject st- strategic. Really fascinating, you know that that obviously it makes sense that if you have a if you're restoring habitat, of course you put back the species that are on the ecological vegetation class list and all that. But you, you've got to be so careful not to be too fundamentalist because mm-hmm. we have changed the environment so much. Absolutely. Um, just out of interest, I mean, our fuchsias. I really don't know. Where are they from again? Because what, what uh, South America. South America. They are right? South America, yeah. of there's, there's a New Zealand species. That's right. Yeah. I have that. That's, that's a nice that's, thing. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's got the tiniest flower you've ever seen. Yeah. It's incredibly hard to grow because it wants um, and cool and moist. Yeah. So it's just a bit of a side tangent. Fun fact, of course, Fuchsias was the name of the Melbourne Demons for a while, briefly, in the 1930s. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, they were called the no, Fuchsias. I, sh- I should have Go known fuchsias. that. I know. There you go. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Demons is a lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My my dad went straight from playing university 
Blacks, I think it was, yeah. grand final. And the next week he played a Melbourne grand final. Oh, really? What? The 48th, the first ever really? draw. Anyway. Oh, yeah, with against Essendon, of yeah. course. Anyway, not, not, a, football, not, a, f- not a football, football show. But anyway, straight, let's and, get off that. And, and, yeah. no. and from Sandringham. Good morning, Anne. Oh, uh, good morning, panel. Um, I'd like this morning to talk about salvias. Um, they are very, very beneficial for anyone to both buy and plant a salvia because they uh, really attract bees. And anyone who knows anything about gardening knows how precious the bee population is. And it's actually been threatened in Australia uh, on occasions. They've had, had a bit of a battle of the bees, but they are recovering. And to encourage them, please, people... Go out and buy yourself a lovely red or whatever colour you like in the salvias. And also another one, as the panel was saying earlier, is fuchsias because they too attract bees. Now, uh, regarding the older orchard areas of Melbourne... Uh, my sister lives in one of them in Blackburn South. Now, I would like to ask the panel, where can I get some camellias from? And uh, when I say camellias, I know they're very, very old. I know they originally come from China and uh, I would love to buy some of the older varieties of camellias and also for myself I love roses and there is a beautiful yellow coloured rose called Peace P-E-A-C-E, and I would love to get my hands on one of those. Can the panel please help me to find some camellias and so, so you live the in Sandringham. You live in Sandringham? Yes. And do you have a car? Uh, I could have access. Why? Well, I'm just thinking about how um, a nursery near you... Bay Road? Bay Road Nursery? Bay Road Nursery, That's a yes. really good nursery. They'll, um, I mean, they've, they've got... They're pretty well stocked with diversity things, but they'll chase plants for you. Okay. Um, so if you had specific names of camellias or... Um, but uh, but peace should be relatively easy to source. Yes, I, would I think you'd be able to find peace, and peace will. I mean, it's too early to get the roses in yet, so you'll have to wait for that. But you want to go for your camellias now, and what you have to do, I think, with your camellias is decide: you want big ones or small ones, and you want big flowers or little flowers. 
Because some, um, some of them are covered in quite small flowers and are very beautiful, and others have got very, very large flowers. And, so, and then your other question with the camellia is, are you going to plant it in the shade or will it take a bit of sun? And all of that affects what you get. Mm. Um, I know, dear, and I also know that camellias love part sun, part shade. I learned that a long time ago when I was at Noble Park. And um, uh, the uh, peace rose, that is particularly lovely, but also perfume-wise, it's very hard to go past a very, very old rose mm. called Queen Elizabeth. And uh, that also comes in climbing form. And uh, I'd like to know where you could get one of those from. Uh, I was also thinking of Gill's Nursery on Bay Road, at Bay Road, Cheltenham. That's, um, a, a, again, a really reputable, um, been there for a long time. Um, so Gill's Nursery on, on, on Bay Road, that, um, drop in there and I reckon they'd, they'd, they'd love to help you out. And can I get salvias there too, dear? Almost, almost certainly. They'd, they'd have salvias as stock items, I would imagine. Just so, you know, salvias. And the PGA have been putting out some beautiful salvias that are in all the nurseries, I've noticed. Nice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so try, try, try Gills. Um, yeah, good nursery. Been there for a long time. And the other one, dear, is what? Uh, Bay Road in Nursery, but but uh, yeah, either of those, but uh, yeah, yeah, Gills is um, and they've got lovely grounds. It's a it's a large nursery. It's oh, Gills sounds like the trick yep. for you, Anne. Just in just in Cheltenham on Bay Road. Oh, okay then, dear. Thank you very very much. A pleasure. Thank you. Good luck. Right. Have a great week. Thank you. Bye-bye. We'd, bye bye. Bye. We're we're, uh, we're we're talking some of the. Um, the classics, yeah, garden plants, aren't we? Roses, Absolutely. camellias, yeah. salvias, fuchsias. Fuchsias, don't pop the fuchsias, my grandmother used to say. Don't pop the fuchsias. Which we then kept pop doing. Probably <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yes, I don't like a lot of the fuchsias because they're too blousy. As yeah, I find I'm more and more getting into species plants yep. rather than the Fair enough. bread I, I have to throw in that you can eat fuchsia fruit. Okay. Yeah, they're actually okay. not bad. They have a bit of a kind of that, um, not, not an aftertaste, but a sort of like a floweriness at the end as a sort of aftertaste. But they're yeah. not bad. Yeah. There okay. you go. There you go. Good. Um, species. Mm. I, I'm, I'm with you. There's, I can remember years and years ago being at the Auckland Botanic Gardens in New Zealand, and they've got a species um, daily collection. And they were, they're gorgeous, gorgeous yes. little flowers, tiny little, almost marigold-y oh, um, nice. flowers. Not that colour, but sure. that, of that French marigold size. Gorgeous. I would like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit like um, with, in a gladiolus, for example. I mean, yes. you grow up thinking, oh, God, these are sort of like over-the-top day medna plants. And then you discover <laughs> the straight species ones yeah. and you think, and oh, wow, mm. yeah, these are incredible. Yeah, yeah. I've got heaps yeah. of those in my garden too. I yeah. think they're wonderful, yeah. yes. But I really would like them. Um, because, of course, most of the really interesting dahlias that have come along have been bred in New Zealand. Oh, they're am, They're amazing plant breeders now. They and are. And they have yeah. bred lovely dahlias that are not 
um, huge. Yeah, it's not They're those not dinner plate things that you need to stake. Yes. Yep. And, yeah, I, and mm. they bred a lot with the dark leaf. Okay. You know, the Bishop yeah, yeah, of yeah. Landau style. Yeah, yeah. They've bred a whole lot. And, of course, they've bred some of the best magnolias as well. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm actually finishing a book at the moment. I've actually forgotten the title, but it's all about the history of... Well, there's a history of plant breeding I'm reading by um, uh, Noel Kingsbury, but I'm reading this other book, which is about plant breeding and art and all the, the history of it and attitudes to it. And it goes through cycles and fashions. I mean, you, you read how um, in the 19th century, at the height of kind of really crazy plant breeding, there were lots of writers like John Ruskin hated it all. They were, you know, these are deformed plants. This is freaks. Freaks. These are just awful. You know, people with their gardens, they're like kind of like torturous zoos and it's like this, this is hilarious people were really you know up in, uh, arms. Up in arms about it but then and I, you know with irises for example there's a lot of this guy's actually a, uh, an iris breeder but there's this really interesting discussion about um uh well yeah the, the, the cycles of fashion and interest between the wild and the bread and i've always thought oh wow iris societies are all mad right but at burnley there's this last remnant of that sort of community you know the iris people come in and look after the irises. And mm. I must admit, when I saw them all flowering, like their collection, I was like, oh, my God, I'm a true believer now. <laughs> I just went, These are incredible. Yeah. So you can, you, your own attitude just shift, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and well, they are. They're just absolutely over the top. And they're fantastic. And you think of species, now with camellias, yeah. and I've been talking about the little ones, you know, like Lutuensis mm. and Psy. Yeah. But then Reticulata are the largest and right. the most over the top of all the camellias, and yeah. that's a species as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it cuts both ways. Yeah, it, yeah. Does. it does. Reflecting on it, again back to the Geelong Botanic Gardens, mm. um, they, they have a collection of uh, pelagonium and geranium. Mm. Right. And I... Now explain uh, to people the difference between the pelagonium and the geranium. Uh, do I, I should know. I'm well, not sure I do. Well, no, the, they look completely different. The they pelagonium do. are the things you see in boxes around white walls in Greece. Yes. And the geranium are things that you see growing in woodlands in Britain. Okay. And geraniums tend to be blues and pale pinks and soft colours, and pelagoniums tend to be pillar box red and really strong <laughs> colours. Yeah, yeah. But are they a straight species? I'm really curious about this. Are they straight species too? Uh, and, right? and we had a collection of species, and they yeah. were from South Africa in the main, although there's an right. Australian native geranium, yeah, of course, and pelagonium. Um, but the species were just extraordinary looking things. And there was one breeder mm. uh, operating out of, out of Geelong, and his entire life quest was mm. to produce the perfect yellow pelagonium. Yeah, right. Wow. Pelagonium? Geranium. No, pelagonium. Pelagonium. Yeah. The perfect yellow pelagonium. Mm. And did he? He went pretty close. Oh, wow. You went, I mean, some of them were pretty hideous. Um, well, yellow is a very difficult colour in the garden. Yeah. It can be very hard, quite brutal. Yeah. Or it can be um, gorgeous. Sort of, yeah. He, he produced a lot of kind of mustardy coloured ones, and they were a bit insipid. There's um, a horrible daisy with quite a bluey leaf that's yellow. I can't think what it's called. I hate it. <laughs> and it's, it's just that the yellow is so hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it, it, again, another old-fashioned group of group of plants right. uh, that are really solid garden plants. But you know, I I, I kind of had to learn to love um, pelagoniums and geraniums. And you had them. And, and in the end, I was the true uh, a true believer. Yeah. And they were <laughs> registered with plant trust. With plant trust, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Yes, the, and the, the, it was lovely. The, they still meet at the Geelong Botanic Gardens, but the Geelong Pelagonium Club, um, once a month would, would, they'd come into the gardens and have their pink cake. <laughs> yeah, and it's so good that these amateur clubs keep going. I hope, yeah. they, I hope they last. I really do. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, well, some of the garden clubs, the mm. Upper Yarra Valley Garden Club, the Macedon Garden Club, some of them are big. Waverley is pretty big. Yeah. Waverley is big, yes. I yeah. spoke last week at the Mount Eliza Club and yep. to over 140 people. Oh, gee. Okay, yeah, that's it was amazing. amazing. Yep. But I bet there weren't many young people. Nope. Mm. nope. This is one of the problems. Yep. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR and you're talking to Virginia Hayward. You're listening to Virginia Hayward, (laughs) Chris Williams from Burnley and John Arnott from Cranbourne. If you'd like to give us a ring, the phone number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Of course, the thing with garden clubs is it's actually quite difficult to um, find the time Mm. when you're working really hard. I mean, if, if you're gardening, you've got to find the time to get your gardening done. Yep. yep. Yes, indeed. But they're great. I mean, they're, 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 I don't know, it's a community of people that get together and, and it's, the best it's just, it's, I, found, I find them really wholesome And people groups. Swap, swap plants all the time. All the time. Oh, yeah, I've, I've done two talks at the Kyabram Gardening Club, okay. and I loved it. Drove up there, honed up the... Well, I got really lost going once by following Google Maps, it's, even though yes. it's normal. Yeah, yeah. Google Maps can, can really do terrible. Anyway. It'll drive you over the edge of a cliff if you're not it, it, Absolutely. But, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, you know, and the demographic was definitely, you know, older yep. bracket, yep. but they were just, they were awesome. Yeah. We've got Tim from Altona online. Tim, Fuchsias. Yes, hi. Um, I was probably changed um, topics on you guys. That's all right. I wanted to mention Fuchsia Boliviana also is a, uh, a beautiful fuchsia that you can grow in uh, Melbourne and also edible. Which part's edible, Tim? The, the fruit again? Uh, or? Yeah, the fruit. What's it? Is it a decent um, taste? Yeah, it's like a, like a grape, yeah, kind of grapey, a... peppery grape. Nice. I agree. Ah, oh, that's perfect, Tim. I agree with you. There's that. It's it's you definitely grape-like. Yep. And then there's that slight peppery aftertaste. Not flowery. Yeah, I was yeah, wrong before. Yeah. Peppery's better. Mm. Yep. Um, and it's good-looking flower. It's a beautiful flower. Um, um, with that interesting. Yeah? So, so no, please go, Tim. I was just going to say an interesting story. Um, I look after a garden at the University of Melbourne. And I took a tour of um, kids around one day and, you know, one of them showed one of them that you could eat it and they, you know, kind of liked it. And probably the next half an hour, an hour later, I got kids coming up to me going, can I eat this? Can I eat this? (laughs) It was a, um, a valuable lesson that I learned. A a, a valuable lesson um, in the power of plants, Tim? Yeah, so, so we're talking, Tim, you began. Yeah, we are. Um, Hi, Tim. Hey, Tim. Yes. Yeah, uh, indeed. Uh, hey, while you're, while you're on the line, Tim, do you want to talk about what's happening next next Sunday in the Botanic Gardens world? Yeah, well, I was I was hoping I could give a, a shameless plug as well. No, please do. But yeah, n- n- next week is Botanic Gardens Day, um, where it's the opportunity for everyone to come and Check out Botanic Gardens all over 
Australia and, and New Zealand. Um, and we are celebrating that by, you know, having a theme called Power of Plants. And people can um, learn more about it on, on Facebook. Um, and on the day, uh, at midday, there's going to be a, a panel discussion hosted by Costa and five other uh, really interesting panellists talking about Indigenous food plants, fungi, um, conservation. Uh, we've got Georgina uh, Reed from Plant Hunter as well. Nice. So it's going to be a really, really nice um, mix of people to to talk about the power of plants. So, um, yeah, it's worth, worth mentioning. And also the system garden is going to be open, which is not normally open on weekends, but we're going to open up and have a um, couple of tours. So, you know, if anyone's in the area, encourage them to come down and learn a bit about all that sort of stuff as well. Awesome. Sounds good. Mm. Melton Botanic Gardens are also doing something for Botanic Gardens Day on Sunday. They'll be having tours, plant nursery sales, children's plant and art activities, quite a lot of things are going. So it's very nice to see because our botanic gardens are so important. Oh, yeah, incredible. And we have just such a legacy of botanic gardens in in Victoria. Um, well, what, 30 or 40 of them? Uh, t- the number, the magical number mm. is 42. 42. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. There is a, a, an interesting reference to that. But, but yeah. no, there are 42. Um, and, and Tim, we, uh, I, I met with Tim and the Victorian Botanic Gardens mob um, last week to talk about a whole range of things which are happening in the Botanic Garden world. And, you know, Victoria, you know, it's the... It's a really active uh, community uh, of, of of gardens uh, in, in in Victoria. We're doing some really uh, amazing work, you know, individually. And but the nice thing is we're doing a lot of collective and that I collective think is, activity. I think one of the things that's so exciting about Bigans is the way botanic gardens are supporting each other. Yep. I think that's terribly important because. You know, you get terrible things happening to botanic gardens where they suddenly find they've got a caravan park oh, or whatever. That that, cara- that botanic garden that shall remain nameless is at the I know. Exactly. And it's difficult mm. often to get enough commitment from councils to botanic gardens. And so if you have a collective group trying to support them... Yep. It, 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 most of our... If, I mean, there's some exceptions, um, but most of our botanic gardens are funded by local government. Mm. And, you know, if you're managing a botanic garden in regional Victoria, you, you, you look to council for support, for resources, for the budget, um, for promotion, you know, all of those things which are, you know, within the, the remit of council. But, you know, curating plant collections is a really specific yeah. thing. And you actually can't look to your, to your, to your manager or to your director for, for that sort of no. Direction or support, or and and that's where this network, you know, really comes into its own, mm. because we do professional development and seminars and the sort of thing that Tim was talking about, you know, these online forums. And of course, that's where the friends can be so important. Also, bringing in people who've got some expertise and will support the garden. Hugely so. There's a absolute correlation between um, a, a cohesive and effective friends group and botanic gardens that are achieving things. Yeah. They're integral. The guides at the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne, in 
are 45 this year. Really? And they are the only set of guides that haven't developed out of the Friends. All Is that right? Other, all the other guides across Australia have yeah. developed from Friends. Yeah, okay. okay. But we didn't. We developed uh, in part uh, out of Saving Plantcraft Cottage. Sure. And then the director asked us to take um, Tammy Fraser and the Choggam Wives wanted a walk and... The first walk was Tammy Fraser and the Choggam Wow. And the rest is history. Yes, yes. Was that uh, while uh, Malcolm Fraser was Prime Minister? I'm trying to do, the, be, do the maths otherwise, here. Yeah. Otherwise she wouldn't. It was sure. 80-something or other. Yeah, early right. 80s. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, what year are we in? Twenty twenty one. We can do the Some of us can do the arithmetic. <laughs> Speaking of friends groups, I do think that, yeah, that, I mean, obviously last week was volunteer week. Yeah. Um, and I do think, you know, there is now a state government environmental volunteering strategy, believe it or not. I yeah. only found this by doing uh, work for Burundara Cemetery with uh, Helen Page and her friends group. And I do think, I think there's a lot of momentum now. You know, off here we were talking about horticultural therapy. Yeah. I, think, I think you can encourage friends groups not just to do the, obviously the functional work, but to wrap it up, put it under the umbrella of sort of broadly getting people outdoors. Yep. Um, you know, doing the physical work yeah, yeah. It's for its therapeutic value. And I think, I don't know, I'm hoping there's momentum for this now, that we're in a good... For sure. You know, I mean, period. that's there's the whole social connection, cohesive community yeah, thing, exactly. which is a really nice, you know, it's a gathering of like-minded folk. Um, can I just ask, Tim, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What time is, are your things kicking off next Sunday? So the, the system garden will be open from 10 till 3. We're going to have two tours... Um, one at ten thirty and one at one thirty. Great. So, um, yeah, there'll be myself and my um, colleague Virginia McNally, and we're going to, you know, we'll talk about science in the garden and, and trees and um, yeah, food plants and all sorts of things. So it'll it'll be good, and I, I think it's a good um, day for for everyone to sort of celebrate botanic gardens because I think going into the future with climate change. Botanic gardens will probably be an important, um, you know, place for, for all gardeners to look to to see what they can successfully grow, and you know, all the research will be done for them. Yeah. And, and actually, doing the research through. I mean, when you're dealing with trees, you do long research. You don't do short research. And Tree that's, time. And that's what botanic gardens can be relied mm. on to do. Yeah, Tim, it, it's probably worth. Uh, a, Putting a little shout out to the plant challenge as well. So, Begans has, has, is challenging its uh, com- community of botanic garden and people interested in botanic gardens to um, post something to the Facebook page or the inst- or to the Insta um, on the power of plants. Um, so it, it, there's some really nice videos that have been uploaded and little snippets of information from folks just sharing their favourite plant passion. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. There's, there's such a great range from people, um, you know, rapping about plants to um, people talking about, you know, science and, uh, yeah, a lot. There's a lot to learn. Interesting, you know, discoveries and just great plant stories. If you're into plants, it's, a, it's worth, you know, scrolling through and checking it out. And that's, that's on the Big Ants Facebook and Insta pages, Tim? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. And just to explain, Begans is the Botanic Gardens of Australia and New Zealand. Yep. 
Can, yes, that's right. Can, can I, I haven't posted yet, Tim, sorry. Um, <laughs> but can I just indulge the panel and listeners with what, with my plant passion? And it happened last week. Um, you I was cycling, uh, at, late in the day, um, beautiful evening, uh, along the Dandenong Creek, uh, home. And the Dandenong Creek, just out of Dandenong, is, it's really just a concrete drain. And the gang mower had gone through and there was this odour of onion weed. In, in, yeah, in, yeah. And, you know, I was cursing it. I was, you know, the, just this environmentally barren landscape, not an indigenous plant inside, bereft of any values, until I saw a, a Middle Eastern lady on the bank, on, on the little strip that wasn't mowed down by the gang mower, harvesting the wild mustard, harvesting the, the onion weed, harvesting the nasturtium. Mm. She was, she was foraging. In, yeah. in, in this, in this thing that I, I had imagined as having no inherent values at all. And, you know, I waved to her, um, and I was really curious as to what she was doing. So, you know, I could, we, we made eye contact and she could see that I wasn't, you know, going to beat her up or anything mm. like that or, or aggressive. <laughs> she didn't have any English, but, mm. um, or much English, but we, really connected you know I, she could see that i was valuing what she was what what she was doing as a mm. so it it really just flipped my perspective of i mean it, it it's not beautiful or ornate or biodiverse mm. or you know any of those things that that you would normally associate with plant power but it was a powerful moment. Okay. Yes. I think uh, that's pretty profound, really. I think we've really, we, we haven't even really started yet thinking about, I mean, Danny Nong, if you include Springvale, has 150 different nationalities, right? So yeah. it's the second most ethnically diverse municipality in Australia after Auburn and Sydney. And I don't think we've really started thinking how we would have, around our public spaces, what they would look like if we actually engaged with someone like that and yeah. said, what would you like to see grown? Yeah. Now, obviously, <laughs> there's going to be compromises. Yeah, of course. You could create some really spectacular, interesting, unusual landscapes, yeah. and they would have, horticulturally, and they would have a level of engagement that we don't have with so many of our urban green space yeah. areas, right? So, yeah. Wow. It was a, it was a river, and, and it just, it just you know, on, I, I cycled and I, I, I took photographs. I, I caught the beauty yeah. Oh, I took photographs yeah. of, of a eucalyptus maculata trunk of a alocasiorina with the sun behind it, of you know a reflection on the side of the path. I, mm. I was moved to just take in the amenity which was on offer. Mm. It was beautiful. The, the knowledge of plants is, is just so vast, and we could certainly do with a lot more people foraging for, for onion weed. I, I would say too. <laughs> I used to forage for garlic wild garlic when I lived in Britain and it was wonderful we used to make pesto out of it nice Nice. probably don't have time today but if there is time I'll talk about eating um, moth vine false choco just to yes. oh come on you can't you've, you've, you've yeah, I put it out there you've now got to go there. Yep. first we'll say thank you Tim thanks Tim thank you all the best see you You're mate. and then we'll say hello to Liz in Bentley. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Liz. Hi, Liz. Good morning. Um, well, talking of onion weeds, you can have mine. <laughs> <laughs> Quite. Um, I was hoping to ask Virginia, I know it's a $64 question. When I go for a walk, I go past sometimes a place that has 
a salvia that is almost black. It's a purpley black colour. So I was wondering if she could throw up a few names so I could go searching for one. I it's quite large. Mm. Um, they prune it I to think about it is, a ball shape. Yes, that's right. It's a salvia discolour. Discolour, yep. How do you spell the second part? Dis, D-I-S, colour, yep. C-O-L-O-R, American colour. Oh, okay. Discolour. And why it's called yeah. that, I'm afraid I don't know. Oh, it, it, it's, it's green on one side and white on the other. Ah, So it has two colours. Mm. The leaf. Oh, on the leaf. Mm. Oh, okay. I've never noticed the leaf. Have I'll you felt have the plant? Look. Have no, you, no. Next time you walk past, have a feel. It's very sticky to touch. It's quite oh, unusual. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, all right. And you oh, will find it for sale. I've seen it for sale. And I think also if you knocked on the door and asked if you could take a cutting, you might successfully oh, yeah, yeah. propagate it. Yes, yes, I might. I'll, I'll do that because it's just such a striking colour and I'm sure it would be a good bee magnet. So um, I'll go in search. It's well, thank ironically, you. it's one of the only salvias I don't have in my garden for some mm. ridiculous reason. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There, there I are some other. Would have had it. There are sorry. There are some other salvias that have got you know purpley flowers and black bracts. Mm. You know the bit that anchors the flower. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's there's a, a few more that have got those black. You know, they look like flowers, but they're actually the bracts. Yeah, yeah, um, I realise that. No, it was just it's such an intense colour, and I thought, oh, great, yes. Black <laughs> All flowers. Right, it's, they're, I, I, I actually well know that salvia, because I'm not a hugely across salvia. It's a magnificent one. It's a beauty, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that you managed to get one, Liz. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Oh, oh, oh. Lining. Yes, sorry about that, everybody. Sometimes. <laughs> choco. Yes. So I have actual chocos here oh, with me. Okay. No, no, no. And I have the, the, the false choco, you mean? Yes. yes. So I, I guess everyone knows there's that weed that we see all over the place, moth vine, often called false choco. Cruel vine? Cruel vine, yeah. yes. Little white flowers and a, and a kind of choco-looking fruit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's an environmental weed. It's from South America, from southern Brazil, northern Argentina. And I'd always just thought that, you know, it, had the, it has the scary white latex. Yeah. And then when I was in Brazil years ago, a colleague gave me, you know, a very generous gift, this huge book called uh, un, uh, Novel Edibles of un, Unconventional Edible Plants of Brazil in Portuguese, <laughs> right? And so I literally, just sitting there in her living room, I opened the book up and it has like hundreds, thousands of plants, whatever. And there was... False choco, cruel vines, and, and I just really was speechless. And I said, is this edible? So, you know, I don't speak Portuguese, but I kind of read my way through it. She translated and essentially it was, a, it was an edible of a particular indigenous group in, in what is now Paraguay and whatever. Um, so, so I've had this knowledge for years, <laughs> and then recently I really looked into it deeply because all the Australian websites say it'll kill you, don't eat it, it's poisonous, Right. So I, I looked into it carefully. So essentially what you do is you, again, I don't, don't try this at home. <laughs> this is just, but you put on gloves, you stick the fruits when they're relatively young. Yeah. In fact, you've got to make sure they're young because otherwise they're dry and horrible. And you peel them and the scary latex comes out. So you're peeling them in water. 
And that that's WhatsApp. That's the WhatsApp. Yeah, sorry, that's the WhatsApp. Yeah. And then you get rid of that. You rinse. So you get this sort of white inner section, and then you just I just fried them. I stuck it on Instagram if anyone's curious, and um, they're actually not bad. I mean, I'm, it's like this is going to sound terrible, a kind of styrofoam texture. But if you can imagine <laughs> nice styrofoam, so it's just kind of like cell, it sort of fills up with whatever flavour you. And it, look, it wasn't unpleasant at all. So you actually need quite a lot of curry sauce. Yeah, but then chocos themselves, like the real choco I'm well, handing out. Chocos are hideous. Oh, Virginia. <laughs> for shame. I'm not ruining that, my curry with choco. No, no. Anyway, the, the, it's just, that, again, it's that startling thing. It's like your story about the onion weed is that you, here's this thing that we universally condemn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you find out that it had, you know, it, was a, it wasn't a staple by any means, but it was eaten regularly by this particular indigenous group who, who really tragically are pretty much exterminated by colonisation. Yeah. But it is. Interesting that then you look into it and it's still, but it's still eaten as a kind of subsistence food in parts of South America. So, I mean, you know, you never, always endless surprises or endless surprises, right? Mm. Like it's, it's, um. Well, and we've just so ignored our own indigenous diets. Well, exactly. And of course, it's happened all over the world. All over the world, yeah. Yeah. White fellas have marched in and ignored what's happening there. Yeah. Which is most, and, and it's so true in terms of plants. Yeah, well, yeah I, you know, that's a, it's a huge topic. But I, I know reading um, one of the most interesting books from Victoria's colonial period is Recollections of Squatting by Edward Kerr mm. because he talks so much about the flora and his yeah. interac- you know, relationship with the Aboriginal people whose land he was taking over, let's be honest. Amazing descri- descriptions that's right. of the landscape. But there is, you know, what I realised reading that, I've read it about three times, is this, I mean, the diet of these young squatters was literally sometimes just mutton, right? Mm. And this is because there's a passage where they're excited because they've bought some cabbages from a Chinese market gardener. And his description of his wild night drinking, you know, eating mutton as usual and cabbage, like, I just think we're getting a sort of vitamin C hit. And then there's sometimes, there's a lot of descriptions of Aboriginal life. And then there's some, there's just this little passage that says, and the women went off to dig the yams as they do. And you think, okay. These Europeans had such an awful diet, mm. right? I mean, we're talking about literally living off meat and damper, obviously, right? Flour. Yeah, yeah. That they didn't even think, think to, to go, go and, and hang out with the yeah. women or, and or, see what was being... Or observe. Or observe, right? Well, yeah. I think but there were two problems. Not only yeah. were they Aboriginal, they were women. Probably. Probably. Indeed. Um, yeah. yeah. Burke and Wills. Yep. You know. Yeah. Well, we're, anyway. we're going to go and talk about... Let's do it. ...bottle trees now. Oh, nice. We're going to... Anne in Surrey Hills. Hello, Anne. Hi. Um, <laughs> I have a bottle tree in my front garden that is very cosseted <laughs> and it's done extremely well for a year and now it's losing some of its leaves, in fact, half of its leaves. That's fine. It's the, it? it's the nature of bottle trees is that they're... Uh, sometimes fully deciduous, um, and what what oh, you'll find will happen in a couple of weeks. It's the new leaves which are pushing off the old old leaves. It's actually a really good sign that your tree is healthy. Fantastic, because I checked your one out in Burnley, and I looked at that, that and I thought um, mine was actually looking a bit healthier than that one. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the big one at um, Burnley, and which is this is Brachycarton repestry, which obviously. Is, yeah. uh, it's had a few issues, which I can't remember what they were, um, but it's it's about 50 years old that one. But it, it, it's it's hanging in there. Um, but yeah, John, yeah, John's right. But but also um, they're sort of inconsistently deciduous. Mm. Is that right, John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. patchy. 
Yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 well, odd. that's incredibly reassuring because I took him from Geelong and he came all along on the freeway on a trailer, and <laughs> and he's been incredibly well cared for. And then I've been really distressed over the last couple of months watching How the leaves come big off. Big was he on the trailer, Anne? Um, it's about eight feet. Oh, oh good. Wow. So, did you get it from Roy Rama? <laughs> yeah, from, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's an amazing nursery. Wow. <laughs> it's such a, I mean, and that's a great genus overall, Brachychiton. Yeah. It's one of my favourites. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I did exactly the same as you. I, Rose, who is one of the 3CR Garden Collective, had a Brachychiton she had to get rid of because she lives in Thornbury and it was just getting too big. Hmm. So she brought it up to mine on a trailer. And it would be about eight foot. And we planted it. And then two days later, had a huge storm and over it went. <laughs> so I replanted it, this time with stakes holding it in. And then it lost all its leaves and spent the whole winter without a single leaf. Yep. And I kept leaving it and leaving it and thinking, no, oh, I'll leave. And then I was thinking, all this rain, that can't be good for it. And it's now beautifully in leaf. Yep. And I'm about mm. to take the stakes off. Great. And well, it arrived. I'm incredibly encouraged. Well, it, mine arrived with the tiniest root ball. I'm sure, coming from Roraima, you at least would have had a decent root ball. But yes, well, it was a whole family expedition. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, um, the, yeah, they're incredibly resilient um, plants. So they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're dry tolerant, of, mm. of, of course. Yeah. But do they like water? If yeah. you, um, well, I wondered about that because I was frightened about having underwatered it or overwatered it because I've. I love the Kimberley, and I fell in love with them in the Kimberley. And um, I thought, well, they have their really heavy wet season, yep. and we don't have that. So I was wondering about how much I should water um, it. Look, they'll they'll, um, they'll they'll survive without water for months yeah. and months and months and months. But um, they're look, they're arguably a succulent that will take water when it's available and then store it in that woody cortex trunk. Um, yep. So they'll take they'll take water they'll they'll okay. they really appreciate. So, but mm. you might want to turn it on, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off to really? kind of mimic the the, yeah. nat- the natural the natural so systems. So they need a time of dry over the heat. Uh, over the uh, it wouldn't hurt them at all. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, they didn't get it this year. No. But also, no. I think John's about to tell you that it's possibly not the same species in the Kimberley. He is, aren't you? Oh, I know that. <laughs> you do? Okay. Yeah. They're, I was just trying to drop you in it. Yeah. They're, they're, um, the Kimberley are the Boabs. I go around patting them in the in Kimberley. Oh, they're, oh, they're amazing. The Boabs and the Kimberley. Uh, yeah. But the, the bottom tree is actually from sort of uh, dry rainforest central Queensland, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 In, in, into, yeah. into some drier yeah. country as well. But yeah, yeah, they range into rainforest and out into... You know the Roma Plain yeah. and things like that. They're they're just yeah. such gorgeous plants. And farmers they have been are. known to chop them at, and open them up to give cattle something Gosh. when it's just really dry. Yeah. Bra- Brachycarton papulnius, absolutely. I've seen it with yeah. my own eyes in central western New South Wales during drought. In fact, there's a few farms um, where you have deliberate silviculture. I mean, we're talking about sophisticated farmers who, who realise that there's incredible drought fodder and have grown them. On a huge scale, like near the dish, near parks, yeah, right. there's a, yeah. from like Newell Highway, you can see someone who's deliberately allowed them to regenerate on a giant scale. Yeah, right. Um, right. Yeah, it's because if it's the, it's the fodder, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm looking out from my window at the moment and thinking good thoughts. It's my <laughs> yeah, no. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And look, what, what's your soil? If, if, what's um, your soil type? Because that can inform how much you'd water. Clay, fairly clay. Mm-hmm. 
um, but where I planted it, it's a bit better. I mean, yep. I've tried to dig out the clay before no, I um, planted it. Is it? Yeah, clay, yeah, clay has got lots of food for plants. Okay, well, there's a lot of clay in my Surrey Hills garden. Well, <laughs> you'll be able to grow a lot of things because you'll be, you're sand. It's much harder to grow well in sand. Yep. Okay, well, I've got heavy clay. I've got um, Eremophila that does quite well. Yeah, I'm good, doing, good. Um, so, but, um, yeah, the, the bottle tree is the one that's looked like it's been in trouble. Yeah, no, I'd... So I'd, I'm glad I'd, it isn't. I'd, I'd, short price favourite that it's going to um, jump back into leaf shortly. Okay, well, thank you very much for your encouragement. <laughs> no worries yeah, yeah. at all. <laughs> Thanks, uh, en- enjoy your bottle tree. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very Bye. much. Bye. Yeah, I like bottle trees. Mm. I'm a fan. Yep. Now, can I read us the text message we've sure. got? This is from Cameron in Adelaide. I have a question about my grevilleas. Yep. We have planted an Australian native garden on the verge. This includes two prostrate grevilleas, but unfortunately some of the leaves on both of them have yellowed with green veins. Mm-hmm. When planting them, we mixed a bit of compost in. I believe Adelaide's soil tends to be a bit alkaline, which may be causing the issue. They were planted about six months ago. Do you have any idea what the issues could be? I'm 28 and I love gardening. Good on you. Cameron, is it? Cameron. Go, Cameron. Um, alkalinity will knock out certain nutrients. Yes. Um, so it sounds, sounds like it might be something like a lime deficiency, uh, an iron deficiency or one of those maybe trace elements. Um, so native fertiliser. Yeah, yeah, native fertiliser. And, 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 sure and do a pH test. Do a pH test, yeah. Yes. yeah. yeah. Everyone should know the pH in their garden because it's the thing that limits and the availability of, of a range of nutrients. Yes. Um, yeah, I'd be doing a pH test, and if it's you know on the alkaline side, you know there are um, well, acidifying yes, fertilisers and things like that that you could use. Be being careful, of course, not to put too much phosphorus into things like grevilleas. And the important thing is to make sure you, if, when you buy a fertiliser, that you don't have phosphorus in it because the Australian plants don't want that. And the other thing, too, is if it is because your soil is very alkaline, I personally think you then move to planting things that like it They'll alkaline. Like it. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Because yep. to change the pH on a soil is really hard. Sure. I've got a friend in Fitzroy who plants grevilleas or used to plant grevilleas all the time, and it's got, her soil's got heaps of builder's rubble in it. Yeah, okay. So it's alkaline. Oh, yeah, and she's found she can only, she has to plant grafted ones yep. if she's going to have any hope. I presume they're part. Mainly grafted onto silky onto oak. Onto yeah. Mm. Yep. And she finds the grafted ones, but of course as soon as you're planting grafted ones, you're paying a lot more money, so sure. that yep. makes it difficult. I think mm. that's a really, that's a profound, that, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense to plant to the conditions rather than modify the conditions. And the other thing, Cameron, I'd suggest, is you find a local indigenous um, nursery, which I'm sure there'll be one around, and ask them, what their experience is, because yep. they'll be growing things in your area. Yeah, absolutely. And and maybe do a bit of a Google search. You know, plant native plants suited to calcareous soils or you know, nice high word. high pH that sort of thing. And and yeah, I think that would be a that'd be a, a very legitimate thing to do. We should, we should say for the Melbourne listeners that a, a verge is a nature strip, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With our obscure term we have in this city, I don't know. Yes, I always, I, yeah. I, I hate no. Costa talking about verges. I want them That's to be nature strips. Absolutely. But there's not a lot of, well, 
you know, I'll, I didn't think there was a lot of nature on the Dandelion Creek, but um, uh, right. nature strips are, you know, pretty, I don't know, you know, grass and mown grass and a bit more mown grass. Well, it's a sort of a scam dilemma, right? Local government owns it, but we all have to manage them. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yes, and, and, yeah. and they will object. I mean, yeah. they will object sometimes. Oh, yeah. We we in we had a house in Ashwood and didn't get permission and planted the nature strip out. And oh, which... Got, uh, is that Burundara? Uh, no, no, it was Monash. Wow. And that was, this is 25 years yeah, ago. Yeah, sure. Um, and, we, yeah, we got told off and we were given a, 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 a provisional improvement notice. It, it looks beautiful. Of course, friend of the show, Karen Sutherland, has a famous nature strip garden, right? Which I've seen several times. The nature of nature strips. Yeah. Well, well it's such a logical thing to do. Yeah. I mean, who yeah. wants one who wants to mow all the time? Yep. You know, using yeah. petrol or whatever you're using. Two. Edge. You got to edge. Edge. I mean, it's just it's <laughs> edging. So that brings back memories of my dad mm. as a kid struggling with the manual edger. <laughs> I mean, no one really does that anymore, right? Like, that's there are certain sort of suburban respectability chores that people have gone, oh, I can't be bothered. I suppose that's not true. People I get the brush cutters out now. In, in yeah. oh, Borondara, the, they definitely do. I've, do I've, right. I've got a... We haven't converted our current lawn to yeah. it. To, so I, I've got a little edger that you, you know, sort of jump on yes. and, 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 that's right. and move along. Yeah. Get a little bit of a work. I'm revealing more about my own... Um, <laughs> I have to give a quick plug to Adrian Marshall, who's a colleague at Burnley. He did a whole PhD on nature strips. So, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Fantastic. Like, I haven't read it yet. Sorry, Adrian, but yeah, it's well, better. I better. And sounded. then you better come on the radio again and tell no, us about he, it. No, yeah, get him to come and talk about it. Oh, yeah. that's a good idea. What yeah. was the, what was the um what was the research question? Um, well, he's a landscape architect, so I'm going to say that the research question was fairly broad. Yep. <laughs> it's a little dig for you landscape architects out there. I no, don't so, know anything about no, the that's right. So, no, so I think he's looking at the kind of cultural values, the politics of nature strips, okay. yeah, and, okay. and then what, what we actually do with them. And, of course, I know Perth is famous for having registered vergers, right? So that, And that's, I, two years ago, uh, I actually was lost in Perth, and I pulled up, and there was the sign, the little sort of sign on the thing, and it really... Sort of, uh, it's a real keep off my lawn sign. Basically, it's like if, if a verge is registered, it, I believe it means you do not even think about putting a wheel on my really? strip. Yeah, don't pull up over. It's a, it's a real, it's a thing. Registered, yeah, registered verges in Perth. Look it up. Wow. Yeah. Well, it seemed to be easier to put grevilleas on it. Uh, exactly. Or like Karen does, you know, even a few. Edibles. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Although definitely wash the veggies on a nature strip is my... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dogs and... Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. Yep. Yep. We're now going to go to Laurel in Torquay. Hello, Laurel. Ah, oh, good morning. How is everybody? Good. good really okay, really thanks, good. Yeah. Thanks, Laurel. Good. Uh, look, I've made a terrible mistake. If I hesitate, it's because I'm getting the feedback on the voice thing. Um, I bought a Canadian maple very, very cheaply, and that was its attraction, but it's over three metres tall in a 20-centimetre pot. What problem's going to be? But I'm determined to try and save it just the same. Good. Any any tips for such a root-bound high? Well, I would start off by soaking it. Do your... Work out where you're going to put it first, obviously, and then soak yeah. the, the soak the roots in sea salt for a while. So sea salt, yeah. yeah. And then you can then see, you have to, if you've got 
roots that are going around in circles. You've got to cut them. Yep. Oh, I'd, do I? I'd, right. I'd that be, won't kill it. I'd no. be going make or break, and when it's fully de- deciduous, getting yeah. a hose and washing all the potting mix off so you're exposing the entire root ball. And then, right. as Virginia said, if there's anything which is circling, you know, following the shape of the pot, cut it off, and you might have to remove half. Well, it's the, big, the root system. Mm. It's the big ones. Yeah, it's the big ones. It's the big ones. If they are going in a circle and you put it in the ground, it will never know it's out of the pot. So, right. so the bigger roots that are going in a circle, hopefully, there's lots of little feathery roots, and they'll be fine. Yep. Mm. It, it's called girdling, so they'll they'll retain that shape forever, and they'll get fatter and fatter and fatter, and they'll be proper roots. And you know, one day in ten years' time, you'll get a breeze, and the whole thing will fall the whole over. thing will just pop over because it hasn't Dry gone over. laterally into the soil. Well, so I can I, see where one major root's already been cut off because it came through one of the holes. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I'd 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 go make or break, um, yeah. and really knock all that potting mix off, have a good look at the root system, and get the secateurs out. When it's deciduous. Oh, well, it's completely deciduous. Yeah, okay. I'd be interested to see if it ever comes to life again. It will, it will. Oh, have faith. No, have faith. The other thing is that um, it goes up about eight feet and then suddenly branches into three branches very, very close together. I mean, I wouldn't say they're branches. It's almost like the head breaks into a, you know, three three directions. And it's it's quite ugly in that regard. Do you think I should cut it or take the centre out or should I wait and see what happens? I'd wait. I'd wait. You can yeah. prune maples, but I'd wait and let it... Wait, wait, wait to see if it recovers, I guess. Yeah. And then it sounds yeah. like it didn't have any formative pruning or it was just let to do its thing. I, yeah. I, I, either that or it's broken at some stage uh, and taken off in a different way, I yeah. suspect. But I would leave it at first, just get it in the ground. Yeah. And um, as it recovers, think about how you want to prune it. Because okay. maple, maples are prunable. Mm. Oh, good. Eventually taking the centre out, is that going to totally um, it, it, destroy the shape? It's probably not so much taking the centre out rather than pruning to the strongest um, branch. I think if you take the centre out, you might even exacerbate that sort of issue because what you'll get is you'll get these branches... Um, and where the branch comes off the main stem, it's kind of a, a, a weak point in connection. Again, not now, but in 10 or 15 years' time. Um, yes, yes. So I'd be tempted to not take this, almost do the opposite of taking the centre out and prune to the strongest, strongest single strongest branch, potentially. What's the yeah. um, eventual size? Well, if, of I, which, if I did that, I'd actually... Sorry, well. I'd actually be, yeah, no, sorry, I can't hear you. <laughs> no, no, I interrupted. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, if if I did that eventually, and I'm not talking straight away, of course, um, it means that there'd be two um, two prunes on either side of the central leader, all at the same spot. You know what I mean? So that those three branches are all together from the one spot. Yes. So I could take one off either side and create one central leader later on. But and, and I suppose they'll heal in time. Yeah, that's right. Will it and if it's point? if it's eight foot. You, I, I'm not sure that you you want to. You know, I, I really think you should wait myself. Yeah, and have a look when it's in when it's in in leaf and see how. And you know, yeah. maybe if you prune all three, you're going to get then all all three pruning points will will Shoot multiply. Yep. Yeah. 
And so you're going to yeah. get a much better look automatically. I might. And soil preparation for, for putting this in the ground? What's your soil? Uh, mostly Sandy. clay. Clay. Oh, that's all right then. Oh, Mix yeah, in some compost. 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 Okay. And leaf. Go around and pick up some somebody else's leaves. And I've got some oak leaf. I grab it wherever I can find it. And a, a wok-shaped hole. So a wok, a, a wider yeah. than deeper. Okay. Wok-shaped. Shall do. All right. Thank you so much. <laughs> no worries. Good luck with that. <laughs> hasn't it been a hasn't, been a, hasn't it been a good Cheers. autumn? Thank you. Really good. Colour. Started off well early, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. This is the 3CR Garden Show. You're talking to Virginia Hayward, Chris Williams, and John Arnott. We have another call on line eight. It is Leslie from Footscray. Leslie. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. We can. Can, can you hear me? Oh, look, I wanted. I, I, I wanted to. I want to talk about a rhododendron, if I can. Yeah, look, they, they they come out in a lovely flower, but, but the, this one I've got here. Uh, I live in a unit, and uh, we we do have a far backyard, which is the, I do look after, and uh, uh, that's the the body corporate um, garden. But I do look after it, and the rhododendron's a lovely plant, and it's growing. So high, it's right up to the uh, right up to the, uh, the spouting, and uh, it's spread out. Now they do take a lot of water, and I don't mind watering them. I mean, they come out in a lovely flower. But I just want to know uh, how do you prune them, and what's the best time to prune the rhododendron? Um, I, I just want to get it a bit lower than where it is when it's up there amongst the spouting, and probably uh, see if I can cut it up and make it make it uh, into a nice plant. I was just was wondering if you can help me uh, oh, with wish, that rhododendron. I wish Craig was here. Mm. <laughs> I think we might... Def- I, my opinion is that you can prune roadies quite hard, mm. but I'm not absolutely certain. I've got a roadie that I'm going to... which has, is beautiful, but I'm pulling it out because it doesn't like summer. Um, oh, yeah, they're, they're an English plant, aren't they? No, oh, they're no. Chinese. Yeah, Himalayan. Oh, really? yeah. Himalayas. Oh, and, and Australian. Yeah, we do. Oh, have, yes, yeah. we do. We and have, that's right. Yeah. And New Guinea. And New Guinea. Mm. But a different group. Dif- yes. But the, and in fact, in both Wales and Scotland, you've got rhododendron as a really bad weed, the purple one. The, yeah, ponticum, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. But, but I where, think. Where, we, where, where, when is the best time to prune? I would have said straight after flowering. Hmm. Uh, when it's not flowering? No, straight after flowering. If you prune now, you'll you, you'll lose your flowers. Oh, God. Well, I can't prune just yet. No. Well, all right. Uh, when, when would be the best time uh, when, it, when, it's, uh, when, it's fla- when it's just it's, after it's finished flowering? Yeah, when it's finished flowering. And I uh, will... And, and that's usually about um, the same time as when roses um, finish flowering too, isn't it? Yes, it, yeah. yeah, it'll probably... I mean, they vary, but yes, it probably well, it, finishes not, flowering it, it, in late it, it, spring. So uh, what would be the best time to to, uh, to prune it? Uh, it? In what month would it, be the best time? It, well, it, it, it depends when it flowers. The, the, the point is, Leslie, you prune it after it's flowered. If it flowers oh, in December, right. you prune it late December. If it flowers in September, you prune it in September. And it, it might also... Well, well, what I'll do is that uh, I'll leave it the way it is. I have to. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and it, I know it's growing up above the spouting and that, and uh, it'll drop its leaves in there. It'll probably 
do harm to the spouting, but it can't be helped. That's okay. Um, but I'll I'll leave it go uh, until it's flowered, and when it's finished, just finished flowering, then I'll prune it. And if you prune it. Yeah, and, and you can prune them hard too, can you? Yeah. You can prune them, what's the word? Judicious pruning. You can get yeah. stuck right into them. Yeah, you can, I think you can prune it by half. But what we'll do, Leslie, is we, I think Stephen's on next week. I'll have a look. Keep listening next week, and I'll make sure one of the people who are very good at roadies, like Stephen or Craig, mm. actually yeah. addresses your problem. I'll try because I'm a bit of a fraud on I've, I've got plenty of time. I've got plenty of time before I will you prune. Do. Is what you said. It's straight after flowering. Yeah. But it will come out. It will come out in flower. Oh, uh, after winter. Yes. Yes. In and, spring. And, it, and it, it, look, it's a beautiful flower. What colour? No doubt about. It. But, but what you've got to do with a rosie, I found out, you've got to give it plenty of water. Mm. And if you give it plenty of water, it'll bless you. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. It will, and and the flower is just absolutely beautiful. It's just covered in flowers. What colour is it? Um, it's a pink colour. Mm. Lovely. Have you visited yeah. the uh, National Rhododendron Gardens, the Dandenong Ranges Botanic Garden? That would be a good place to go on Botanic Garden Day next Sunday, if you're into rhodos. Uh, yes, but um, I, uh, I haven't thought about that. But uh, I just thought that you might be able to help me. But you'll have someone on next week. Yes. You've yep. already said who, who studies in uh, roadies. Yeah. And he'll probably give me. But you've given me some advice anyhow. Excellent. When to prune. Excellent. And, uh, and that's all I want to know. But I won't touch it now after I've spoken to you. And uh, if it drops all its leaves and the spouting and that sort of thing, well, I can't help that, mate. We'll um, have to replace <laughs> I mean, plants are more important than spouting. Somebody can get on the roof and clean them. <laughs> yeah, I know it is. You're right. You, you won't. Uh, it takes a long time to get a, a rhododendron. Uh, exactly. You know. When it comes out in beautiful flower, look, they're a beautiful plant. They are, no doubt. They're good. They take a lot of looking after, though. Yes, and it'll probably like a feed as well. At the end, yes. of, end of winter, it'll yes. probably like a feed. Yep. And, and what would the, the feed be? Uh, oh. I've got some stuff with feed, but it's uh, uh, it's um, it's mash and stuff like that, you know. But they'll probably need a bit more than that. Oh, I think... Just a general fertiliser, uh, dynamic lifter, yeah, Leslie, top. anything, really. Yeah. Yep. A bit of compost. Right. Compost on the top and a lot of mulch. A lot right. of mulch. Yeah. Mulch yeah. Got the for the summer. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, the only thing I can do is that uh, if I use my mulch, well, I'll put it onto the, uh, um, to, to, to the, uh, it's not my plant. But it's the, Doesn't uh, matter. It needs uh, it. I'll put it onto them to, to, um, to, to buy the mulch for me. Yes, good idea. Yeah. yeah. Best All of right, luck, then, Leslie. You, you give me some hints and I'll probably ring back next week and speak to the chap. And, Excellent. Um, Good on you. Who knows about it. Thank you very much. Cheers, Leslie. Okay. See you, mate. Bye, Leslie. Well, mm. that was um, a time when we weren't quite the right crew. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, that sort of really faded from the general, you know, it used to be a big thing, right, roadies? Uh, well, or are they I still mean, a thing? I'm not, I just haven't been in my... Uh, on my radar for a long time. I think they're a, um, they're a thing in the hills. Yes. Right, of course. Yes. yes. Oh, and, the, and 
Texas Botanic Garden. Oh, that's the, great. The, the yeah. Botanic Garden in the Dandenongs, when the roadies are out, it is quite spectacular. It's true. I do. When when they're out, it's it's everyone's on Instagram. Everyone seems to be there on the same day, bumping into each other. But um, I just mean that sort of the battle in the suburbs with the, putting them on a western aspect, yeah. disastrously, that kind of thing. People yes. don't. Well, see, that's what's wrong with mine. I've got yeah. a beautiful roadie. It'll come out mm. soon. It'll be beautiful. I was going to take it out, but this summer was so wet, I've left it. Yeah. Right. But as soon as we go back to those dry summers. It's off. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. It's just impossible. What's, yeah. what's the one that's um, Mediterranean from, is that Ponticum? Is that the purple one? No, the purple one's Himalayan, I'm oh, sure. Oh, Himalayan, is it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because there are some rhodos that, that do occur in, you know... Warmer climates. Warmer, like, drier, hotter. <laughs> like Queensland yeah, and yeah, New Guinea. Yeah. yeah, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, in, indeed, the, the rhodo garden are, are looking at developing a whole garden um, around... Um, Rhododendron Lockyer, the, um, the Queensland one. The Australian Rhododendron. Yeah. Listen, people don't know we've got... Um, in fact, I completely ignored the fact, fact that we've got an Australian <laughs> yeah. Rhododendron. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this, yeah, look, <clears throat> um, there, there are two... <clears throat> Excuse me, I've got a frog in my throat. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are two native Rhododendrons and they occur on some mountain peaks up in um, far north Queensland, along with a whole bunch of other things that only occur on these mountain peaks. So there's mm. high levels of endemism only occurring on these, on these peaks. And Which global warming will not be good for. Potentially not, no. No, potentially mm. not. So there's been lots and lots of field trips in the Cranbourne Gardens. Uh, we've, I think we've got about 85 species that we've been into the field up in north Queensland um, Dullington Kerr and Thornton Peak and But your lowland sandy soil doesn't sound like highland <laughs> Queensland. No, but, but yeah. uh, no, no. So in, it, 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 but interestingly, um, so this is, it's, it's called a, an ex situ, so off-site yeah. c- mm. conservation collection and we're doing the propagating and we're distributing the, the plant material to a right. number of different botanic gardens and we think we're going to get the most success in Tassie. Yes, of right. course. Because right. these peaks don't yeah. get too much above 23, 24, 25. They can get down to as low as, you know, two or three have known to have snowed on, on, on these yeah. peaks. They're, so they're actually cool temperate subalpine plants. Uh, effectively, yeah. yeah. And I, I think that kind of climate matching is a fascinating exercise. Yeah. It's really, um, I, I do a lot of that with the sort of subtropical, tropical things I try and grow to eat. And, uh, and of course, then you, when you really think about it, most of our summer gardening veggies are tropical, right? Mm. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And, and their altitude affects... So the, so the scarlet runner beans, for example, is a classic where it's a high-altitude uh, tropical plant in the yeah. Andes. Yeah. Therefore, it doesn't actually like our That's hot summers. That's hot summers. Seven-year seven bean, exactly. So it doesn't like our hot summers and no. won't, it doesn't pollinate properly. No. I have a question sure. on the seven-year bean. Go for it. The seeds, yep. which are beans... Yep. Are they good to eat? But as beans, like yes. you would a, bo- bo- a borlotti or whatever. Uh, absolutely. Because so I just collected a heap of them. Yeah, I mean, in terms of recycling them, rehydrating them. Yes, yeah, and, they and are. Making a bean and stew. You would know from having been in England, they're the main summer yes, bean there. Yes, anyway. and, I, and I, I mean, when you can have a French bean, I'm not True. quite sure why you eat. I know, they're, 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 yeah. I mean, the pod itself is a bit rough, right? You've got to get them when they're young. Yeah, but still, I, I like them. It's just now that well, we haven't really had one of those scorching hot summers we thought we were going to have forever. Mm. We're going to, we'll get one soon, mm. there's no doubt about it. But so I think some, I didn't grow them this year, but some people I think had a bit of success with scarlet runners this year because... I had, that's why I've got right. so many beans. But What's the seven-year bit? Is it take, oh, it's because it's they, perennial. They live for seven years. Yeah, they actually lo- live 
longer than that. But they, the idea is they'll reshoot every spring for seven years. So a herbaceous perennial, herbaceous die down, perennial. grow back. Yeah, yeah. Die down, grow back. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, yes, so, so I've built something for them. I've, right. I've built a frame and planted them on either side of the, the Rio. Right. Um, and that just stays as is. Now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, I, I, I have to say that they're talking about these, what was it, the passion of plants or whatever the thing the, is? The, 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 um, I should know, power of plants. Power of plants. So when I was a kid, I, <coughs> I found a lot of the gardening that chores that we were made to do really just tedious beyond belief. My eyes were water thinking pulling out weeds. But then the veggie gardening I found fascinating. And so when my uh, grandmother was planting seven-year beans and called them that and explained to me what would happen, and then also rhubarb, which stayed in the ground, I can remember thinking, okay, this is the gardening, gardening I'm on board for <laughs> because these things are going to stay there. Because to me it was like, I don't get, want to do these delirious weeding jobs. You're going to get bang for your buck. Absolutely. So that really, <laughs> honestly, seven-year beans, the whole concept of it totally inspired me as a kid. It's like, yeah, great. Well, I did How old were you? Oh, I don't know, six, seven or eight or something, you know, whatever. <laughs> something. I, I'd reckon yeah. I had a similar moment at yeah. maybe a similar age, digging, digging some potatoes out of sandy soil yeah. in Frankston. Yeah. And, you know, had the fork and mm. dug into the soil and cracked, cracked the soil and bang, there were these little jewels coming out of the... It was it was but, a moment. See, you're a, it sounds like you're a tuber guy like me, maybe. Because I'm like, I just still, I can't. I just, when these things come out of the earth. We've got two calls. Gosh, sure, and let's we're go for it. Of time. Yeah. <clears throat> First, we will go to Judith in Surrey Hills. Hello, Judith. Oh, hello. Hello. I'll just turn the radio off. Good idea. Yes, I say. Um, uh, Virginia, I visited your garden, by the way, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, um, right. <coughs> With the deep gene loss. Yeah, um, excellent. I have a calistamon, and the stem has gone completely black, as if it's been in a bushfire or something. Um, the blackness is spreading to a nearby um, lavender bush. I was wondering if you could tell me what it is and if I can cure it. Sounds a little bit like sooty mould. Yes. Ah, what do I do for sooty mould? Well, sooty mould, mould is, <coughs> excuse me, it's most often secondary. Um, so it's likely that you've got a scale insect, probably a scale insect rather than an aphid, um, and the scale exudes um, like a honeydew sugar, sugary substance that right. attracts ants, and the, it's a fascinating thing. The ants actually carry the scale around the, the bush and move the scales around, um, but what happens with that, that sugary exudation is it, it settles on the surface of the leaves um, oh, and, and, and hosts the mould. I've seen that, seen that on a, um, a gardenia, but it's not like that. There are no uh, ants, and it's not sort of sticky. The sticky one is, is on, on the gardenia that's different, I think. Okay. It, it, um, <coughs> any other it, ideas? It does sound like a, 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 a sooty mould of sorts. Mm, mm. Um, so does, can you rub the, it off? If you, is it persistent, or are you able to uh, sort of... No it's, it, no, it's sort of really into it, as if it's burnt into the wood. Yeah, okay. Hmm. Any thoughts? Well, I am just cheating here on my phone, um, and I think you've got the exact diagnosis there, John. It sounds like it's a common problem on, yeah, on calistamon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it might be that the um, that there aren't any ants, um, but there might still be some scale. Right. Um, and scale, yeah. So have have, have a good close look uh, and see if you can see any scale insects on mm-hmm. on the um, on the stem. It does sound like that, and and. It's plus or minus ants. You don't always have the ants, but um, uh, you can. So have a look for have a look for scale. All and right. It, and it's a problem that's come because we've been wet this year. Mm. Uh huh. 
And it, like, did it kill the, <coughs> kill the tree eventually? <coughs> uh, it's not good for it. I wouldn't imagine to be for the foliage to be covered with um, with sooty mould. It, oh, it, 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 it'll it's certainly just on, the just on the trunk. Yeah. Just on the trunk. Oh, okay. And I okay. suppose yeah. you could actually go and rub it off the trunk as well. I mean, oh, or hose it off. Hose it off. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it. No, it looks pretty. Oh, I'll try anyway. Yeah. It's worth a go. So, um, Yes, I'll do that. Okay. But I'd say secondary to, to a scale, would mm. that would be the likely. So have, have a have, have a close look and see if you can see any scale. And what, what do I? What, what did you suggest a spray? I can't remember. Um, no. Soapy water. Just soapy water. One of the um, horticultural oils potentially. What such as? Have a have a look. I mean. Yeah. I think the soapy water, I actually think trying to get rid of it yourself is, is a good idea. And, All right. and okay. will it be, will the cold help it? Or, or the other way, will, will in fact, like a hot dry summer might just clear it up, right? Yes, yeah. but will the cold of the winter also um, knock it out? I don't know. Has this just appeared, idea. Judith? Is this a recent thing? Is it a sort of post-summer thing or is it... Um, <coughs> I haven't noticed it until a month or so ago. Okay. Uh, mm. I mean, the, the other... Okay. The yeah. other the other thing, just to have a think about, is is that sometimes when you get scales and aphids and such things, that uh, you can get beneficial insects uh, moving in and actually starting to control them naturally. Um, there's a bit of a lag, and it's not always the case, but um, you know that could be encouraged as well. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, well, I'll try the soapy water. Excellent. Good luck, Judith. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. And we've got one more call that we'll try and go to before we finish, which is Ron in Templestowe. Ron, are you there? Yes. Hello. Yes, I am. Good morning, Virginia and, and your crew. Um, um, I'm ringing about a problem I'm having with an indigenous plant called Cassinia longifolia, or commonly the shiny Cassinia. Um, I had these advised by a, an indigenous um landscape um, person who uh, advised uh, the use in a particular part of my garden which is slightly filled but it's beneath close to the um, a large um, pe- uh, leptospermum petersoni the lemon scented mm-hmm. uh, leptospermum yep. uh, they radially out probably from about um, half a meter then out to a couple of meters away I had four of these planted and they're um, meant to work as you probably know reach about two metres high. Uh, one by one, uh, they were planted in March 2020, last year. One by one, from about early spring last year, they have died off, firstly by the leaves drooping. Mm-hmm. They reached about 1.2 metres high, by the way. They were looking quite fine. And then one by one, uh, they droop the leaves, the shiny needle-type leaves, and then they dry out completely, which is a sign of the plant has died. And um, I then had to remove... I had one left lasted uh, from soil cattle about a month ago. It's now going, the fourth one. Uh, the soil that they're in is, was imported uh, to about 300 millimetres high, about a foot high, mm-hmm. um, which was, a, I'd call it a sandy clay. It was a clay that when it got moist, you could squeeze it and it would stay in a ball. But when it dried out, it got very, very hard. So I had mixed mm-hmm. a bit of my home Ron, I might, I might go straight to John because we are going to be running out of time. Right, thank you. The, how big is the um, the leptospermum? Uh, 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 it's um, mature about um, five metres high. 
It sounds, um, leptospermums have typically got, got um, a pretty aggressive surface sort of uh, fibrous root structure and are very competitive. Um, mm-hmm. It could just be that the, the cassinias have dried out. Right. Um, that, I that the, Even this time of year? Uh, yeah, potentially. Potentially. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, that, that, it, the, the, there'd be a, a, a line I, of logic I, to that. I don't... Temple Stowe this year... Wet? Would have got... Would have got enough water? Rain, yeah. I, I haven't watered them since about early March because of the rain. It, it, mm. it also does sound like your soil could be dispersive. So it gets... It gets a clay sand can be quite dispersive in that if they, they get really hard and hostile yeah, when they're dry right. and then really... Like, so I'd, I'd mm. be looking at, at trying to open that up somehow with, with compost. That, that would help enormously. Mm. I found it almost turned like concrete. Oh, no. yeah, yeah, okay. Compost. Yeah, compost. Uh, we, 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 we've, we've had that same problem at, at Cranbourne with clay sands that, that hold a lot of water when they're wet. Uh, yeah. And uh, almost impossible to dig when they're when they're dry. And that's what dispersive right. means. D- yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. So they 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 compact. They don't have a lot of air in them. It could just be that the the dogwoods haven't been able to get their roots into the soil and have no right. resilience. How far down should I actually um, put the compost and mix the compost? How far do, how deep would you say? Oh, incorporated in, into the into the surface would be a, a good start. Yeah. Just the surface. Yeah. Oh yeah, surface yeah. down to maybe ten centimeters, like. Yeah. Mix, mix it into the oh. surface. Right, okay. And I've retained two more. And a friendly, uh, a friendly mulch too. Mm-hmm. A, a mulch, mulch that oh, rots yes. down quickly so that it's feeding the soil. You yep. need to feed your soil if it's dispersive. Yep. And, and you, I'm imagining that there's no, not a lot of biota worms and that type of thing in that, in that soil condition. Have you noticed uh, any worms? I haven't, but I must admit I haven't dug, dug down too deep because the plants, I was hoping this one would stay alive, but now this one's gone after... Uh, the fourth one after about six months uh, dying off of the others. Um, the, cl- what type of mulch did you suggest when you said a mulch? What, when you say a, um, a, a mulch for the top, what type of mulch would you use? Uh, I always like to use one that rots down quickly. I tend mm. to use pea straw. I just think a mulch that is feeding your soil rather yep. than something yep. that's hard and is just going to stay there and protect it from yep. the sun. You want something that's right. going to feed the soil yep. and bring the worms. Right. If I, I have a lot of um, uh, soil um, cut, cut the plant material that I, I mulch with a, a mulcher myself, a type of electric mulcher, uh-huh. would that be okay? Leaves? Yes, yes. that's fine. That's good. Um, and we've been talking a little Thank bit you. about pH, but um, sometimes those fatty sands, those clay sands, can be pretty acidic. Um, okay. so, so maybe do a pH test and, you know, mm. an application of lime, if required, might be... You can turn those 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 sands around, but it's organic matter. Oh, check you. your pH, uh, yes. mulch on the surface. Thank you. I haven't done that. I will do that. Well, thank you very much for your help. I'm, I've just bought. I've managed to obtain just two more uh, in in uh, again in tubes. But um, I thought before I did that, I'd, I'd ask the. Yes. Uh, your advice there. That they should be they should be relatively easy to establish. They're they're, they're you know the colonisers in the bush and grow pretty quickly and mm-hmm. so it does sound like there's something inherently um, happening with your soil. Yes, I was surprised when they got to 1.2 metres. They still hadn't flowered. I thought it would have got some flowers last spring um, or summer, but they just didn't flower at all. So that maybe that was a sign. I'm wrapped that you're having a go at dogwood though. That's all Cassinias. That's mm. that's that's nice. That they're, they're I think they're an underutilised group horticulturally. Well, my landscaper was an indigenous landscaper. He was very keen on that type of plant, 
and nice. another okay. ground covers. So I've, I've gone his way, but this one I dipped out. <laughs> thank Fantastic, you all for Ron. Much. Okay. Thank Thanks you. Bye, Ron. Bye. Bye now. Well, that was interesting. Yeah. Mm. Let's hope he can um, save his soil. Turn it around. Yes. Soils ain't soils. <laughs> um, you know, importing soil, buying soil in, it can be, can be fraught. Very fraught. Yeah. yeah. Very fraught. Yeah. And I, I, I was going to mention that, but it's, it's um, just adding soil into an existing soil. And yeah. yeah. It's and sometimes Actually, the it just two goes, never know that they, exactly, they, don't inter- they don't integrate. Mm. No. Yeah. You've got to be careful. Yeah. And I do think that a good breaking down mulch can make such a difference yes. and nothing is better than leaves and compost. I yeah. agree. It's interesting uh, you know, uh, there's a few YouTube videos going around on this, but at Burnley, Andrew Smith has really converted me to just arborist waste oh, so yeah. it's got the leaves and the yeah. wood chips together. Yeah. Piled on for years creates the most incredible growing medium. I've got these bananas you know, cool, cool bananas so called growing at Burnley. <laughs> Effectively I mean that's good soil there anyway but in this choc- chocolate brown substrate created by deep Deep layering of arborist waste, yeah, and they, they just they've gone nuts. Yeah, it's proper humus. It is yeah. essentially, yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, we've virtually come to the end of our show. <laughs> okay. Well, that went quick. So it did. It, it did. I think I enjoyed it. I hope. So did I. I yeah, hope so you I. did out there, listeners, and uh, we hope to hear, hope to have you back next week. Thank you very much. <laughs> listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.